Welcome to the Believe Olympia podcast with guest Dr. Carrie Anderson, author of Food, Body, and Love. Hi, everyone. I am Lorianne. I am the host of Bleep Bulimia. And today I am so excited to have Dr. Carrie Anderson on. And she is the author of Food, Body, and Love. But the greatest of these is love. She's also been treating eating disorders for 32 years and now has her own practice. And thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much, Lorianne, for having me. I just love to come and and share my passion about um, treating eating disorders and especially those with um, binge eating issues, whether it be somebody that that purges or whether they don't, the binge eating brings up a lot of shame. And I, I want to melt that because there's a reason why we do that. I love it. And I'm looking forward to hearing that. So my first question is, how did you end up in this area of helping people with eating disorders? Well, I have my own story and it starts when I was eight years old. And um, my story is that I remember a time that was very dark in my um, childhood where my mother and I were very, very close um, when we when I was younger. Um, and then uh, she fell into a very deep depression and just was not available to me anymore. And we had just moved. She had lost um, both of her parents within a two year period um, in their early 50s. So this is, you know, um, my mom was very young when she lost her her parents. She was orphaned. And so she was just um, catatonic. And I just I, I felt like I didn't have safety anymore. At the same time, there was some, and this is so common thread for everybody, um, is that there's some sort of fear-based anxiety or trauma or something going on. And that was happening for me at the same time. I didn't feel protected. And so therefore, I started eating sugar. <laughs> I figured out that if I just ate plain sugar, and I did, I stole you know, these sugar packets my dad owned a restaurant at the time and I would go down and be his little helper. And I went and stole these sugar packets and I would go into the women's restroom and lock the door and I would just pour straight sugar down my throat. And somehow I knew I felt better and I was going to be okay. So I created this neural pathway in my mind and my brain that anytime I felt frightened, alone, um, despondent, that if I just ate sugar, that I would feel better. And that neural pathway, you know, just it continues to this day. I don't respond to it. I go, oh, hi, <laughs> I understand what you want me to do, brain, but I'm not going to do that right now because I have some other things I can do to calm down. But at the time, it lasted for quite some time, which led to a full-blown eating disorder by the time that I was about 14, 15 years old. And that was because I started dieting. So I was, here I am, somebody that is using food to comfort. Now I'm concerned about my body and, um, and I'm feeling like I need to do something about it. So I started dieting. And the same story I hear over and over, I was a Weight Watcher girl in the seventies and, um, and I was really good at Weight Watchers and, um, and I'd mark everything. They didn't have apps back then, but I had check boxes on a, on a sheet. And um, at that time, um, I lasted until I couldn't anymore. 
And then I started binging and I started binging really badly. And I ended up having um, actually binge eating disorder, which we had no idea what that was um, back then. I just thought I was out of control. I called myself one hot mess and um, of a teenager. And, um, and that, and I had that eating disorder until I got treatment in my late twenties. After that, it led me to be what we call a wounded healer and uh, went back to school and got my um, my master's and then later my doctorate and and been working in eating disorder field ever since. Wow. It's actually funny we have somewhat of a parallel there because, um, and I'm going to get emotional. It's a full moon, I think. <laughs> uh, my mother lost her mother at 48, her father at 59. So uh, at wow. age, her age, she was only 21 when her mother passed and then she was only 26 when her father passed so same thing she went into a depression as well um but i was not born yet then she got pregnant with me and that helped her get out of it uh but i think there was always still that that that's a painful thing to go through like very painful and i wanted to just quickly ask i know that this is sort of off topic but how did your father deal with it my dad had to get a nurse in to watch my mom well, you know, um, she was a teacher, so she took a year off of teaching. She did get some ECT, some electroconvulsive um, shock therapy, and that was pretty controversial back then. I know that they do it a lot now, um, but I think it just had to, you know, the, the thing that's interesting, because when I wrote my memoir, Food, Body, and Love, um, which is both a memoir and also um, a self-help um how to, but, um, she, I learned a lot more about my mom and she started talking about, cause I'm, um, I subscribe to a trauma based, um, or trauma informed therapy, um, style called polyvagal theory. And basically it talks about the nervous system and what happens to the nervous system and what we do and how we respond to it in order to survive and to feel better. And she started exercising. Interestingly, when somebody falls into a collapse, which would be a freeze, right? We, we hear about fight, flight, and freeze. Freeze is when we kind of like, we collapse, we get depressed, um, we, we, we hide. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the only way back up what we call this, this nervous system ladder to a place of functionality is through movement. Oh. And she found, and she learned, and this is something that I never knew. I just resented her because I thought she was like <laughs> making a comment on a, a, a pudgy daughter that didn't exercise. Right. And yet she was just in survival mode and she started exercising she started riding her bike around the block and around the block and around the block and started jogging and, and whatnot. And that actually helped her pull her out of that depression. And she got on with her life. Um, and so now I understand the nervous system and I understand why she, why she did that. Now she didn't do it in a way or compulsively in a way that she did it in a survival way. So, so she never had an eating disorder. Um, yeah. she was always very small, right. And very petite, very different from me. And so when I, um, that also pushed a lot of my body image buttons, <laughs> um, an exercising yeah. tiny mother, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, um, because I was built more like my father. Um, 
So, but anyway, so that's how she, um, she was able to move through that. Mm -hmm. So you were saying that she mentioned something about pudgy little daughter. So you did, she made comments to you like that. Oh, that was just all in my head. Uh, you know, it, the thing is, is that okay. um, our perception is very real and it's our own truth and it's our narrative and our story. But I think I inflated it as I, as I wrote this book and my mother in her eighties, um, I saw it very differently and we had a lot of good good conversations. And one of the things that was quite healing for me is that she said, you know, I always just thought of you of, of being like me. And I realize now that you're very different. And, um, and so I'm sorry that I wanted, you know, I wanted you to, um, to exercise and be like me. Well, interestingly, I love, I became an athlete and I love exercise, but at the time, I was quite rebellious against it. In fact, as soon as she went out to exercise, I would just go to the refrigerator and start eating. So, so there was a little, there was that mother daughter push pull that was going on. Um, but um, I, I can just totally get that. <laughs> it's like, it was, it's kind of F you, <laughs> bleep yeah, you, exactly. bleep you, right? Um, <laughs> speak French. No, I don't want to speak French. You know, I'll speak French with my sister. I'll speak French with my teachers, but with my mom, I didn't want to. And that was, it, it was exactly that. It, it just, it was painful to do. Why though? No idea. No idea. Yeah. I That's don't know. Crazy. I mean, I think it's a common theme because a lot of my clients uh, also had a little bit of push pull with their mothers too. Yeah. So. Well, my daughter did too. And, and actually she still does, even if she's like 29, <laughs> it's okay. You get, you get used to it. Uh, so your book, let's talk about your book, uh, food, body and love. Uh, so what inspired you to write it? Tell us a little bit about it. It sounds beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, what inspired me to write is I felt like, um, like after 30 years of working in this industry of eating disorder recovery, I really came full circle and in, in with a, a real understanding. In fact, kind of like the clouds parted and I go, oh, and I was able to see exactly why I did what I did and why I used food and, and how it turned into an eating disorder. I mean, Sure, I've been treating eating disorders a long time. We have lots of evidence-based treatment. We have, you know, we 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 think we understand it, but for me, there was a profound awakening, kind of a full circle, is that I totally get it, and I get it, and I want to share that with everybody else um, that's struggling, so that they don't feel bad about themselves. Because I really thought it was about a you know, an emotional problem. But the more I studied neuroscience and biology, there is a huge biochemical um, process that's going on in my body. And my body was compelled to binge. And so I, I wanted to share that this is not your fault. There's something going on. We can correct it. And it's not because you're all psychologically messed up. And, and that's why I wrote it, because I'm bringing in a science piece to this. And the reason why um, I call it food, body, and love is that there is actually a state in our physiology 
a, a love state that we were meant to in our design. And I am a, a believer in terms of I have a faith. I believe that God created us to be in a state of love and that when we get into a state of fear, things cause pro it causes problems, havoc in our lives. And so there is actually a physiological state of love where we are connected to other people and we are co-regulating each other. And, um, and that's, that's the best state to be in. And, and that's where our best selves come out. Okay. That's, that's who we are. But when we fall into a state of fear, we get into fight, flight, or collapse, which would be a freeze. And so I'm looking at us and the eating issues from a perspective of the body and the physiology of it. And I so, love that because, yeah. Sorry. And so love uh, is the state that we're all looking for. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what we're striving for. And so it's really a state without fear. And so that's everything that I do in terms of my, I have a new workbook that's coming out and uh, that is a companion to my food, body and love book. And it it's coming out in the next couple months. And um, what it does is it really takes people through step-by-step. Step. How do you get your body into a state of love? And a lot of it just has to do with um, getting ourselves into a calm state using a lot of mindfulness techniques, but also there's some, some processes in terms of our thinking or mindset that can help us. For instance, of um, a heart for gratitude, um, a focus on gratitude can actually change our physiology and our brain um, to be more in a state of love and to look for those things that make us feel good rather than the, a fear state. And so there are things that we can do um, in terms of from mindfulness meditation to calming the, learning how to calm the body down, for instance, and in, in yoga or other types of movement activities. Um, and, um, and even the things that we eat can help calm our body down into a state of love rather than a state of fear. I, all, I really do believe that inflammatory foods or things that we eat, that the body is just in a state of fear. When we get our knees hurt, our stomach hurts, our, you know, when we, when we eat in a manner that, that pulls our body into the state of fear and goes, what the heck, <laughs> what are you doing to me? Right. And so learning to befriend our bodies and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. Let's get yourself, let's get ourselves calmed down. So it's really a befriending process. And um, so it's got lots of things like that. So that's what the book's all about. <laughs> Beautiful. So that, like to me, what you're saying too, that a lot of that has to do with self-love as well. Mm -hmm. Because I know that when you put too much of your which I used to, too much of uh, who I was on what other, I thought other people thought and the love of others towards me. Um, that's when I broke down and, and like you, I went into, I had gained weight and then I went on a diet and everything <laughs> because you're, you're denying yourself what you went to and then you go back to it. Like it's, it, it, it doesn't work. But I found when I learned to love myself, and that was help, uh, helpful with my sister. Um, 
the things that other people thought about me were less important. And it was more about, you know, how am I going to better myself rather than what people think about me? Mm -hmm. I used to always think that if somebody was whispering, they were talking about me. Now I don't feel that way anymore. But I would imagine that that's the level that you want to go to because that's a fear. People talking bad about you, people not loving you. Those are part of the fears that we go through, right? Right. So I talk about trying to find your people in terms of those are the people that you spend time with that you feel better about yourself having spent time with them um, and after. And there are people, though, that you spend time with or things you do maybe on social media, things that you do that having spent time with those people, you feel worse about yourself. And so I, I talk about we want to move toward and spend time with those people that bring out the best in us and not bring out the fear and the doubt um, in us. And, um, and so really in terms of that's a lot about boundaries and, and making some intentional choices as to who it is that um, we're going to spend the most time with. Obviously, you know, we can't, sometimes we can't divorce our families. Um, uh, and if they're not toxic or, you know, abusive, obviously we would just learn how to either ask, get our needs met. And if they can't meet those needs and just spend less time with them. I fully so agree <laughs> and make that choice to spend less time with them. It, it's, it's healthier for you. Yeah. It is. Yes. Because I don't think that there's many families that are not a circus, as I heard before. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, there's some people that if at the end of every time you're with them, there's um, arguments or whatever, you're just and you don't like conflict. Just, yeah, just be there for them. But just. Yeah, we just need to love them, you know, because they're, you know, <laughs> we, we, we always go into these these relationships thinking that that people need to change. And I think that we can ask for our needs to be met, right? They may or may not be able to do that. So we just love them, right? And know that's, oh, that's just my, you know, that's just my uncle or that's just my boss or whoever it is that, and rather than allow them to disrupt my nervous state, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let myself get dysregulated over this person. You become kind of a scientist and observer of these individuals and go, they're, they're quite interesting, but it's not about me. And so learning these kind of techniques to try to preserve and keep ourselves because the number in the type of therapy I do, the number one thing for us to do is to pay attention to our nervous system and try to keep ourselves in a state of calm or what I call a state of love. And so that's our, that's our main goal is get calmed down. Yeah. Because I, just, uh, I'm living, I'm living my best life now and not letting myself stay in these states that cause disruption. And, and, um, and so I'm always looking to collaborate and work with my body so that we're, we're collaborative team, my body and I um, are in our best, in our best self and our best state. And I agree with that too, because I actually started talking to my body parts and they're going exactly like you. I got to know my body and going, I'm sorry, <laughs> like you were saying. Exactly. Um, and I I wanted to mention that very quickly too. And I think I've mentioned in a previous podcast, but my sister-in-law, um, I am divorced, but I never divorced her. Uh, right. Unfortunately, she's passed, but mm -hmm. uh, I could com 
like a lot of people like she went she was about 400 pounds mm -hmm. and then she lost and she went down to 185 uh but she and I was bulimic but I said I can actually relate to you I said the only difference between you and me is people can't see that I'm a binge eater mm -hmm. and they can see it in you yeah I hid it behind that it was it was hidden but I could relate to her more than somebody who was you know eating normally but <laughs> I'm going to get you I got it I understood her yeah, yeah you can't tell by looking at somebody's body as to what's going on with their eating disorder no you really can't unfortunately those that um that have larger bodies um and um and I've been much larger than I am now um before but I'm the same person so but unfortunately I I dealt with a lot of weight bias um and mm -hmm. um and teasing and problem I mean and and bias in the medical community as well um in terms of the way that I was viewed but um well my ex-husband mm -hmm. sorry but my ex-husband didn't even tell me he had a sister and he said he was bullied. He was bullied as a child because his sister was overweight. Mm -hmm. So he basically cut all that off. And yeah. I would imagine that that must have caused her pain too. Because mm -hmm. if I had a sibling that did that, that would be hurtful. So these are things that, you know, unfortunately she didn't get the help that she needed to be able to really understand that she was a beautiful person. You know, she yeah. just never... And she really was, her heart was right there. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people fight their bodies and hate, you know, and hate their bodies. But, you know, the thing is, is that the most, the longest and most enduring relationship that we will ever have is with our body from the time that we were, you know, born um, and to the time that we depart, we're with this body. It's the longest relationship. And so I always say that um, being mad uh, hating, separating from, dissociating from your body is not going to help us. I mean, we have to deal with our body. And so I really help people to take a neutral approach. So you don't have to love your body, right? But we have to have a, a mutual cooperative type of relationship and to be, um, and to look at your body from a compassionate view, from a perspective that what must my body be going through? and what it's trying to do for me because i'm telling you they're fascinating you know the more i learn about the science of the body the more fascinated i am in terms of how hard it works um to stay well and to stay alive very and so, very true yeah and and so that kind of brings me back to i wanted to make a comment about when we go on diets what happens Mm -hmm. and um or if somebody else has has controlled our food there's something that's very a, a a thread that runs through all eating disorders and i believe that to be food insecurity and what that is is obviously food and true food insecurity and from a social justice perspective would be that the community or we wouldn't have enough food but when i work with the individuals that have what we call loss of control eating or binge eating there's always a thread someplace of some, they either didn't have enough food. They had a bunch of brothers that ate all the food before they could get to it. They, um, they either somebody tried to control their food, like mom controlled the kitchen and you couldn't eat between meals and whatnot. Um, or somebody put them on a diet early on in their life, 
or they chose to go into starvation diets. Every one of them has what we call food insecurity. See, the thing is, is we know there's a Costco down the street. Our brain does not know that. Our brain thinks that we could starve. And anytime that we start to mess and not feed ourselves enough, the body will overcompensate and it will change our biochemistry. It will change everything to crave more food, to eat more food, and to ultimately binge on it. And so we have to calm that food insecurity down, whether it be psychological or physiological. Whatever we're doing, we have to say, I am going to feed you. I'm going to consistently feed you, and I'm going to nourish you, and I'm going to take care of you. And so we do this entire paradigm shift is that food is not the enemy. Food is the healer. And, and because we're going to calm the body down and remind it that I'm, we're going to be okay. You don't have to fight for survival. And so that's part of the process. So it's, it's, you know, it's working with, um, and getting a good relationship with food as a healer, right. As medicine, getting a great relationship with your body and trying to move ourselves into that state of love. And that's really about relationship. Um, our relationship with self, our relationship with our body, with food and others. Right. So I know that you also have a program and we were talking earlier and I was uh, saying uh, for my listeners, uh, you know, very affordable, which, you know, a lot of times as people who are looking for uh, ways to recover the it's it's you don't because it's too expensive, but beautiful and i i was looking at your website so if you can please tell our listeners a little bit more about that sure yeah and I, you know i did that actually because because there are people that can afford me right and i don't see that many clients i only see between 15 and 20 clients a week um and it's not like a revolving door in my program but i had more people reach out to me and say and I do coaching and, and counseling, but I, people reach out to me and say, I can't afford you, Carrie, what do I do? And that is why I created, first of all, I wrote the book. Two, um, I created an online course by the same name, Food, Body, and Love. Um, and I have a workbook that's coming out in, in the next couple months. We've only got advanced reader copies right now. It's going through review, um, but th those will be out soon. But the online course I am going to offer to your listeners um, for half off the normal rate. And I think it's affordable even without half off the normal rate. But the, the online course um, is an eight um, session or module program. Some people do it in eight weeks and some people take a lot more time. Um, and it's video driven of me. I'm, I, I do the program. And then it has... Um, it has all the um, assignments that you can upload and I can interact with you. Um, there's a community you can interact with and and um, and email me and I will email you back and, and try to give you encouragement and whatnot. And so the coupon code um, for 50% off is RW50, RW50. And so you would go in and create a username and a password and you get into the course. And then if you choose to, to purchase it, when you're purchasing, you make sure you put the coupon code in and it would be only $99. It's normally $199, but you get $100 off. 
That's beautiful. That is, like I said, amazingly affordable and worthwhile. So listeners, if there's anyone out there listening and saying, you know, I want to start somewhere. Um, and Dr. Carey, uh, it, it, for listeners who aren't watching this on YouTube, can't see her, but she's just a lovely lady. And uh, I can just tell with your heart, you put uh, tears in my eyes. I am very grateful for you working so hard with people with eating disorders. Um and like you said, at the very beginning, when they started, I mean, 30, well, now it would be 42 years ago. That's scary to say when I started. Uh, there was some stuff on anorexia, but really nothing on bulimia and binge eating. So it's nice that we progressed. And uh, and I know that this is not just, this is, this is not just gender specific. It is men, women, anybody like this is something that uh, we go through. So uh, how can they find you, Dr. Carey? Uh, my website is really easy. It's myeatingdoctor.com. So M-Y-E-A-T-I-N-G, e -A -T -I -N -G, doctor spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R.com. So it's a really memorable, easy to find me. I've got lots of resources on there. I'm a blogger. I blog for psychology today, but I post everything on my website. Um, of course, I've got, I, I have, I do groups too, which is another real affordable way to work with me and um, all kinds of stuff on the website that, um, that might be helpful to you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to share this. And your book is available, I would imagine, on your website. Is it also on Amazon? It actually is only on Amazon. I don't have, um, I don't have, can't purchase on my website. What is that? I can't remember okay. what that is, <laughs> but um, it goes to Amazon. Um, it's $19.99 um, on Amazon and you can find it on Amazon. There's links from my website to Amazon um, as okay. well. Mm -hmm. Perfect. That's great. Okay. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on at some point. If you have any other books that come out, please let me know. I'd love to have you back. And okay. I appreciate your time. I really do. Thank you for Thank being you here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com.